down to the white meat. another episode of Down to the White Meat. I am Candace Anderson here with my co-host Nakia Lowry. We are both licensed professional counselors and we are here to help black folks get real about their ish. On this episode, Him Too, we are discussing the hypersexualization of our African-American men. Nakia, are you ready to discuss this topic? Absolutely. Hey, everybody. So we were thinking about discussing this based upon some things that happened recently in social media and hip hop culture, which was August Alsina coming out about his relationship with Jada Pinkett Smith. And we wanted to see how this fits into the history of our black men as it, it involves sex and hypersexualization, uh, healthy relationships, and just some things that men don't really get a chance to be honest about and discuss. We're going to start first with a brief history of Black men and their socialization, uh, is what I will use, uh, or orientation into sex. And so what I discovered in my research was that when Africans were brought to America, that there was a process by which they became orientated to life as a slave. And if anyone out there has any uh, triggers when it comes to conversations about sex, uh, sexual assault, uh, rape and molestation, this is definitely an episode that you want to be very uh, self-aware while you're listening and practice some self-care or maybe see your private therapist after. So what I found, and I heard this before, Nakia, I'm sure you probably heard the term buck breaking. Yes. So for our listeners who have either heard the term and don't know the definition or have not heard that term, there were some really horrifying ways that African men and their descendants were uh, sexually exploited, sexually abused by their masters as it pertains to our history on this continent. Buck breaking refers to the process by which a slave was either uh, raped, in front of his family, he may have been uh, raped by a master, by a master's friends, uh, sexually assaulted in front of his wife, or uh, making him have several girlfriends, uh, being raped by merchants who were planning to purchase right, because we're talking about slaves and the, and the ownership of, of human bodies. So that was a thing. And uh, the issue of enslaved men as rape victims and this being 
undiscovered for the most part because it just wasn't something that was documented in the slave narratives, but this was something that was practiced uh, very often. Another thing that I came across that um, our men were sexually traumatized was that they had breeding farms. And so a breeding farm was a place that was owned by a slave master uh, in which, and let me say this other thing about the, the, the buck breaking before, before we move on. And so it happened on ships. It happened on uh, plantations. It was, it's a, it was a practice that history says was very popular in the Caribbean, especially with uh, African men being raped by, uh, by other men. The, the next thing that I was mentioning was the, what they called a, a farm, essentially, a breeding farm, uh, a sex farm, essentially, where men were bred along with other enslaved African women and their descendants. They were, they were used to, to breed other slaves. And it's documented that some male slaves actually died from sexual exhaustion is what I found. So the, the book breaking uh, or the, the rape essentially, um, sex farms, the breeding farms was also another thing. And, you know, just this exploitation of the black male being exploited, but then him being labeled as hypersexual with this insatiable desire or need for, for sexual uh, engagement, behaviors, etc. A lot of people don't know that one of the reasons that cocaine was actually outlawed back in the, I believe, 1800s was because Part of, part of the reason they were able to do so was to scare the white population into believing that cocaine made black men hypersexual and that they were going to essentially come after white women. And so they said, oh, wait a minute, we got to outlaw this cocaine. It makes, um, you know, black men uh, thirsty for white women, essentially. So there, there is just this basic history in this country of hypersexualization with our men. And then if we look at the fact that sex for them was a very lucrative business, the breeding of black, black men and slaves. And um, I also learned that the term, this is explicit, the, the term, you know, M-effort, right? Mother effort was coined because in these farms, they would breed men with their sisters, with their mothers, with their own uh, um, sexually mature daughters in some cases. So essentially these men would be having sex with their relatives. So that is where that term came up. This is like some disturbing stuff. Um, castration and genital mutilation the emasculating of our men as, you know, as a form of punishment, saying, you know, if you don't have a penis and you're a woman, you're not a threat, et cetera. That was also something that was in practice. And so 
Nakia, when we look at this history and the fact that our men were even sometimes used as entertainment made to dance in the nude uh, for slave masters in their cohorts. Uh, they were also made to, you know, show their sex organs and they have discussions about them, etc. There's this very sick and twisted history of black men and sex Absolutely. In, in America. Absolutely. And the thing about it, you know, when we're now this is all ingrained. I mean, this is being passed down, right? Mm-hmm. And this is, and a lot of it is, you know, our subconscious. But we have conditioned ourselves to kind of believe a lot of this stuff, I mm-hmm. think, in our society. When it comes to hypersexualization, we have kind of, as a society, embraced some of those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, such a, you know, you know, the story when it comes to black men and being just these, you know, good in bed and, uh, you know, all those stereotypes that surround the black man and him, his mm-hmm. ability to please. And, um, you know, I was reading an article um, that a black man wrote and he was talking about where he saw the shift as he was reaching puberty. And mm. to see how that shift, how others saw his black body. He talked about how girls began to make uh, emphasis that they like, uh, particularly the, some white women, that they like the darker skinned man. Or, you know, they, it, it became, he became kind of a sexual object at a right. certain age. So that object, a very de- definite, you know, shift that he noticed. Wow. And how he began to be basically objectified. I mean, he was now seen as this hypersexual object. Mm. And even, even, you know, of no fault of his own, even, you know, being at church, he talks about how he would see, you know, kind of that shift in, you know, the the little black boy had a, you know, the white girlfriend and, you know, they even hold hands cause this frenzy because, oh my God, we don't want to allow this black boy to influence or, you know, this, this little white girl, you know, it's just that, that kind of undertone of no matter, you know, within our society of, of, of high, how they view black men, They're actually very animalistic. Yes. Yes. Very animalistic. So like, like this very, uh, you know, I know that bestiality is a, is a, is an actual, you know, a thing, but there's almost like you just said, this we dehumanize them. Yes. Yeah. And make them these these animals, right? This I remember watching an interview with a young man and he talked about how when he came out to his family that he had been molested right we know it's not consensual sex when a child is when a child is underage but that he was molested by a relative a female relative that it was seen as a rite of passage it wasn't seen as something that was detrimental harmful and unacceptable and I know that recently a lot of men have come out and said that their very first sexual experiences have been 
at 10, 11, 12, 13. You know, this prepubescent, early puberty, you know, developmental stage where they are not, number one, mentally and emotionally able to handle what's happening, but it's rape. It is sexual assault. And I think, too, that we forget that there are women that are perpetuating this. There are women that go after these little boys, these young, young males. Yes. And it's funny. First, before we even go any further, let's just define so there's no confusion about what child molestation is. Yes. And so I looked up the definition. First of all, I looked up just the general overview definition. Okay. It talked about uh, uh, child molestation is a form of child abuse in which an adult or older adolescent uses a child for sexual stimulation. Now, I then went further in just, you know, looking up the law. So I looked up the statutes in Georgia. Okay. Because, uh, you know, that's where I am. Yes. I said that child molestation is when a person does any indecent or immoral act to, with, or in the presence of a child under the age of 16 with the intent to satisfy the sexual desires of the child or the offender. Mm. So, because a couple of things happen when child molestation occurs. And, and also, I know we're going to talk about kind of that introduction of, like you talked about the, the, the woman that got the strippers for her 14-year-old. Um, yes, I know we talk about some of those dynamics. So what I want to say about child molestation is I wanted to read the Georgia law because I specifically want to um, emphasize that just because the child is receiving pleasure from what you are doing to them does not mean that they're not being sexually abused. Yes, and I have, yeah, because... So many men say things like, you know, my penis was erect, right? It felt good. It felt good. So I, I, but I was confused, you know, emotionally that this wasn't, that this wasn't okay. Or if the person molesting them is a male, sometimes they believe that, oh, if my penis was erect and the the stimulation felt good, this must mean that I'm homosexual, right? And so one of the things that I want our listeners to know, especially if we're speaking to any men who have had this experience, your, your body is made to be, your, your body is wired and made to be stimulated in that way when it's time under appropriate conditions. So guess what? Your body can't tell if the stimulation is in an inappropriate or non-consenting uh, circumstance. So you're going to have this biological or physiological response to things that are happening to you that are not okay. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Not only that, when it comes to, specifically when it comes to males that are introduced in this this kind of what the society has kind of deemed the rite of passage. I don't even want to call it that. Mm. But I've heard men say, well, you know, they, they weren't uh, opposed to, in, in defending it, well, this person wasn't, a, this little boy wasn't opposed to what happened. I'm sure he liked it. The conditions of which society has kind of shaped young boys is, is it doesn't allow for them to not 
quote unquote like it. And by that, I mean, they can't speak up on it because in some way that now says that they're not man enough, they're not masculine, they're somehow inferior, and, you know, um, something is, there's some kind of deficit with that, that little boy. That's how he's going to be perceived. That's the message that's going to be sent to him. So why would they speak up? Whether they like, quote unquote, like it or not. They don't feel like they have a voice. Mm. Yeah. They don't feel like they have a voice. Oh. Mm. So, Nikia, you are actually... You said something earlier about, you mentioned the church. And one of the things I wanted us to discuss at length was sexuality, men, how it plays a role in the church and how it plays a role in the family. So from what I've seen, that it's acceptable for the male to be sexually active and it's frowned upon for the female to be sexually active And so that further inspires this belief that men can have however many partners they want, right? But they aren't seen as a woman would be seen if she had as as many partners, right? So it almost encourages that continued, you know, that continued sexual behavior, regardless of age. I've seen uh, teenagers, 14, 15, who discuss having sex with adult women several girls at school just you know this this whole experience way before but nobody is saying that it's not okay that it's promiscuity that it's unhealthy but if it's a you know if it's a girl if it's a female child or female adolescent then that becomes shameful right right so we're shaming the girl the, the female child or adolescent or woman for that matter but we're continuing to encourage the behavior of our of our boys our male adolescent and our men in that way what are some of the things that you've noticed uh either in the church or just kind of in our family system uh, Exactly what you said. Not only that, but just as, as it becomes shameful for the girls to engage in promiscuity, it's almost shameful for the males not. So it's like, what is wrong with you? Why don't you want, you know, it's that kind of, of a mindset. Yes. And then they weaponize the fact that maybe the male doesn't want to participate sexually. They, they weaponize homosexuality, right? They use it as 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 a shaming tool, as a weapon to say, oh, you don't want to have sex? You must be gay. Yes. Right? Exactly. So then that piece contributes more to homophobia in the Black community as well. Homophobia, and it also is going to continue, like I said, they don't have a voice. It's perpetuating abuse. Because they can't say anything. Correct. Correct. Yeah, so silencing them perpetuating these these stereotypes about homosexuality this instilling this fear that if you don't have however many women and however many sexual experiences by whatever age then guess what there must be something wrong with you absolutely yes yes but what happens you know we we're saying all this but then 
what's the other side of it? What happens when a child is introduced to sex too early? Mm. What are some of the negative impacts that you've seen in dealing with, you know, males who have, I know, you know, who have come to sit on my couch. One of the things you already mentioned is that, you know, there was a lot of shame around his first sexual experiences and his first sexual experiences were with males, with adult male. Mm-hmm. So of course he had a response. And so for a long time, he was questioning his sexuality. And so for him, women, because this is what happens, your perceptions get distorted. And Correct. so for him, women, he, he gains somewhat of a resentment towards women. And it became he kind of weaponized that kind of attraction they had to him. So when he was in relationship, you know, he was a womanizer. He, you know, all those negative, yes. maladaptive behaviors. Yes. Relationships. He had multiple children, you know, children, like two women pregnant at the same time, like all of these different things as a result of the unhealthy exposure he had at a young age of his sexuality. And actually, to even buttress that point, you know, further, that's literally the R. Kelly story, right? Because what I was going to say is that the men that I've talked to or, I, or I've supported, you know, in their journey to healing have said that not only were they confused about what was happening, but then they started to confuse power with sex, right? So, so being in a powerless situation being molested, right? You don't have a voice like you said earlier. And then as they grow, using sex in a power domin- uh, di- dynamic to overpower someone else. Yep. And that's what we've seen in people like R. Kelly, you know, when we have looked at their backstory, that they're molested at an early age, and then they kind of grow into this maladaptive behavior, uh, confusing power, and sexual experiences and wanting to regain the power and playing that out in their adult relationships. So I have a, a, a real difficult time with the fact that we continue to ignore the plight of Black men in our families when it comes to this. We will ignore them and we'll shame female victims of molestation. Yes. So, so black boys, it's not happening to y'all. And then when we see it happen to black girls or black women, it's always their fault. So there's this, this toxicity around inappropriate behavior instead of us standing up and saying this is not okay this is not going to continue i don't care who you are i'm going to prosecute i'm going to get this young man some support we just ignore it and if it's a girl well just stay away from your uncle just stay away from your cousin you know stop being fast you shouldn't have wore that skirt and we just continue yeah stop being fast yeah, it, yeah, it's that, but also my question is, it, you know, it's, it's, it's either that, or if you do acknowledge, especially with males, it, it's almost, if you do acknowledge, it's, it's, you'll be up in arms if they were sexually abused, if you acknowledge it, because it was a, a man mm-hmm. that abused them. But if it was a female, 
it then goes back to, well, hey, what was wrong with you? I mean, you, you should have liked that. You know, it's kind yes. of, like, you know, yes. there, there's never, why is it that it's wrong if a man does it to the boy, but it's not wrong if a female does it to the boy? Back to that distortion of, oh, that's a rite of passage. I remember reading an article and it was online so I could kind of see some of the comments, but man after after man saying things like, oh, if my teacher had done that to me, or, you know, if I was, you know, the article was about a woman who had been arrested and since convicted of abusing male students. Mm -hmm. And so the, the men in the comments were saying things like, you know, well, where was she when I was a teenager, right? And I'm, and I'm just like, whew, this. And we wonder why there is such disrespect between men and women in adult relationships. There's just, it's, it's, it's a mess. It is. It's a mess. So, so let's switch gears and kind of talk about most recently this week, the story that broke about Jada Pinkett Smith and uh, uh, entertainer August Alcina. I think that's how he pronounces his, his last name, but we're just going to call him August. So August came out in an interview with Angela Yee, breaking his silence, he said, and telling his truth, according to him, about a relationship with Jada Pinkett Smith, the wife of Will Smith. And everybody had something to say. I saw people calling August, you know, everything from messy to glad he's speaking out, people questioning Jada Pinkett's uh, sincerity with the work that she's doing with the Red Table Talk. Also, Will Smith being less of a husband. Um, I'm sure everybody's heard probably years ago that they have an open relationship. August is now saying that it's not necessarily a marriage, but it's a partnership and a partnership with no boundaries, a partnership with no deal breaker as to what can cause issue or separate them in the relationship. Now, before we get into it, let me say this. What you do in your relationship is what you do. Uh, polyamorous relationships are valid. There are a lot of people who live that particular lifestyle. I think for most of us listening or in the community, it's a very taboo or, or new concept, but history says it's been around for, for, you know, for years, as long as man has been around. So, Nikia, when you first heard the story, what were your thoughts? Um, justice for Breonna Taylor. But, um... <laughs> I mean, I really, I really, basically what you said, that's their business. But for the sake of, because it caused so much hype, I decided to look into it and listen to the interview and kind of look into August Alcina and his history. Right. So let me just say, Nikki is over here cracking me up um, because when I first heard it and people were asking my thoughts, my my comment was, is Will bothered? If Will is not bothered and they entered into this consensually, that's they thing. That ain't my business. So I I kind of was on the, I'm on the same page with you. But then right, 
as we start to examine this young man, uh, August, and the age difference, and some of the things that he, you know, has said in his post, his interview, that most people may not pay attention to, the nuances, the words, et cetera, that he uses, we were able to, you know, discover that there's probably some history of trauma there for him. Nikia, what did you find? Most definitely. There's no probably about it. This this, um, young man has suffered trauma, complex trauma. And by that complex trauma, meaning multiple traumas. Yes. Um, He has lost, first of all, he didn't have his father growing up. Um, There was that initial kind of underlying abandonment that he experienced as a young child because he didn't have the presence of his father. And this part, you know, I definitely can relate to as a child of an addict. And feeling like so worthless that he not understanding that substance abuse is a disease as a child. We don't, all we know is that daddy's not there. Right. Yeah. And feeling like knowing what this drug does to people, you know, just my personal experience has been, I'm looking at this man, like you chose crack over me. Like I'm not even more worthy than crack. So imagine like that first set of abandonment where he's, you know, this is going to leave a child feeling like they're unlovable, mm-hmm. you know, like um, something must be wrong with them. You know, of course, you know, there's the, you know, I'll do anything to have kind of that closeness. Yes. Those kinds of thoughts in your mind. Yeah. So porous boundaries. Yes. And so as he's, you know, developing into a young man, and if these things are left unresolved, how do you then navigate interpersonal relationships? That is the question, right? Because we're going to navigate based on what we know. Right. And that's only one. Then he lost his sister, who he's raising her, her, her daughters. Mm. He lost his sister. Um, I believe she had a disease. I forget what she had, but she, she passed away. Um, this was before that he lost, he had a brother that was killed. So the, you know, he's, he's lost multiple loved ones mm-hmm. um, to the point where in his interview with um, Angela Lee, he talks about, she brings up reference to a show that he was on where he talked about his idea of love and he referred to it as two cars crashing together. You know, let that marinate. How do, how do you resolve that that is your ideal of what love looks like. Two cars crashing together. That's traumatic in itself. That exactly. Yeah, that just the visual of that. Just exactly. the visual of that, right? That there has to be this this coming together in that way. Right. Yeah. Uh, is standing by his allegations, right? We don't know the ins and outs. We can only comment uh, and, and make supposition based on what we've read and what we've, you know, heard in the interviews, et cetera. So we, you know, again, don't know what is true and what is not. However, the public is getting restless waiting for Jada <laughs> to respond, to say her piece. <laughs> Jada, where are you? Well, she said something about bringing herself to the red table talk. I don't know if she meant that literally, 
or figuratively, but that was her latest statement, supposedly. But when is she coming? I'm waiting. <laughs> like I said, she ain't clarified whether it was literally <laughs> or just in her mind, she's making sense of what this young man that came out and said. Right, right, right. So, you know, I think, and I'm, Beyonce kind of does it best when there are allegations or things that come up in the public, Beyonce ignores it, right? She ignores it, dies down, kind of goes away. So Jada could maybe be be waiting for, you know, because there's always something new with social media. There's always some new issue, topic, hot news that comes up and people kind of move on. But I am really interested in wanting to know, especially because of the things that she's discussed over that table uh, in the past year, year and a half uh, since its inception. I really want to know, what does she have to say? What does she want to add? Probably her and Will are trying to get on the same page. And another thing that I noticed, too, is before I started looking into August and his history and the interview itself, I was put off by the fact that this relationship or arrangement was something private between the three of them. And when it didn't work out, he became enraged and divulged information that was once private, that was once, you know, trusted, so to speak. Um, so I found that very interesting as well because we can't determine how a romantic relationship is going to go. But if you give your word to someone that it's remaining private, and this is not in cases of abuse, of course, but if you give your word to someone, the fact that it doesn't work out or it doesn't go how you intended it to is not licensed to then divulge what was once held privately and respected. What are your thoughts on that? There are relationships all the time. And I mean, he says he's speaking his truth. This is what he, he feels like he needs to do for his healing. That's how he emphasizes it. This is his healing moment. Um, you know, uh, he also said a couple of things about, you know, he works best in anger. He's motivated best with his anger. Um, is that what he said? And anger, this is his, anger drives me. Wow. That's what he said. How dangerous. So, yes, anger drives me. Oh. So he feels like he works best when he's, he's at that point where he can't take it anymore. And so that goes back to like, you know, remember the traumas that I talked about? Yes. One of those traumas I didn't even bring up was he was molested. Was he? Yes, he was molested. Mm. He was molested. Wow. So this is playing out. Yeah. That yeah. makes Yeah, this all, all the pieces uh, coming together make, make perfect sense. I'm hoping that he finds a therapist that can, you know, be there and, and support him through this. You know, I do too, because I still feel like as much as he wants to present like he's gotten it together and he's on this path to healing, you know, as, as a, and a, again, kind of like what you said, not everybody's going to take notice of certain key things that he says, but 
you have to be be careful, first of all, of what you speak over yourself. Yes. And so what I noticed about this young man is that I feel like he's still in a place where he feels worthless. Mm. No matter what he's saying, it comes out in his words. First mm. of all, he referred to himself as being deficient. The young man has lupus, and he was talking about his illness, but instead of kind of talking about his illness as a, a state of being versus who he is, yeah. it became who he was. Yeah, so he's, he's internalized. That we speak over ourselves when we're, when we're feeling like senses of inadequacy and, yeah. and, and worthlessness and low self-esteem. And so he referred to himself as being deficient. And he, and he, might, he, he likely doesn't even pick up what he's saying about himself. Oh, of course not. Of course so, not. And the other part, when you when you just mentioned that Nakia about him being deficient, right? We from the work that we do with victims of abuse, we know that who picks up on that? Predatory people. Predatory people will will sniff out and smell someone's deficiency or that that vulnerability. Absolutely, and so. Again, we don't know the details of the relationship, but then one could say, were Will and Jada uh, preying upon this young man and his vulnerabilities and those deficits for that kind of situation? And, you know, not like you said, we don't know the circumstances. And and do you feel like, can one become predatory in a sense and not even be completely mindful of what they're doing. Absolutely. They're meeting their needs. Yes. So there's kind of an undertone of some narcissism there, in, in a way. Because if we look back, you know, I was kind of going back and you brought up polyamory, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think this is that situation because typically my understanding of poly is that this is a situation where all parties are respected kind of share the same kind of level role level there's no kind of hierarchy within the relationship yes where this definitely was not that there was definitely a hierarchy it was will and jada and he right because yeah like a a boy toy type of yeah 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 There, there was no there was no Although he felt like, because Will, supposedly Will said the romanticism of their relationship is no longer present, Will also reportedly said in an interview that there is no, like, you know, deal breakers. So they are a forever partnership. Nobody is breaking that bond. And so you get in where you fit in. Or you get to step in, pretty much. And something probably occurred where he no longer fit. Right. Yeah, where he lo- where he no longer fit. So I don't think that he ever did because I feel like he came into it wanting a romantic relationship and feeling like this was going to be some kind of relationship that, you know, perhaps at some point she was going to write off the Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. And that because that didn't happen, he, you know, he's upset. And so now he's speaking out about what happened because remember he's angry right so something happened regarding the relationship that put him in a space of anger so 
moving on, uh, I had mentioned to Nakia earlier about uh, something I saw online. And I saw a couple of instances of this, but one in particular, I had, I had the opportunity to ask some questions because a Facebook friend of mine posted it and it was one of her Facebook friends. In the picture, there's a, it was a picture of a young, a young man turning, I think, 14. And he was, and in the picture, there were strippers. So during this, this COVID quarantine, his mother, and this is, this is from the person that, that shared the post, because I, I inquired and she was upset about it and she shared it and she said she couldn't believe it. This is her friend. So in this picture, the caption is, you know, for my son's birthday, you know, we doing it big. Uh, I got him some strippers, uh, you know, and, and he's 14 and he's a man, right? So I asked the friend, I said, you know, uh, clearly he's underage. Uh, this is your friend. This is toxic. So are, is this something that you are talking to her about or reporting, Right. And she was like, and she had taken the names and such off of the, the photo. And she said, she said no. And I was confused as to why she was refusing to report what she had just seen, you know, put for everybody to see, which was odd to me. Because in her mind, she probably rationalized it. That's my friend and it ain't my business. That's exactly what she said. That's not my business, right? So we have this long-standing bystander effect that if it doesn't affect me directly, then it ain't my business. And because of that, we have children that continue to suffer, to be abused, to be neglected, to be harmed because adults say it ain't their business. Mm-hmm. So what are some developmentally appropriate milestones that parents, uh, godparents, aunts, uncles, uh, our listeners can kind of put in their toolbox to be able to tell what is okay and what is not okay? What would you say, Nakia? Well, the overall theme I would say as far as what's developmentally appropriate is that a child should never be engaged in any type of whether you know relationship with someone who's not a peer and when i say that i mean that they're on the same intellectual level mm -hmm. there should never be a point where that person has a power over you mentally to where they can influence you in, in any capacity in that sense right so for a healthy relationship there needs to be a quote-unquote, kind of peer level, kind of equal equality to, to that interaction. Right. So there needs to be, the, there doesn't need to be a power differential. And a power differential refers to someone being uh, different age, uh, different status. This also applies to employees uh, and their supervisors, which is why fraternization is not something that most companies allow, right? So, so, Anytime there's a relationship, there should always be that, that piece of, of equality there so that one person, because of their status, age, size, cannot take advantage of the other. 
cool. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and I would also say that it's okay for, for boys to stay children. You know how we try to keep little girls like little girls, like people will say things like, oh, go play with dolls or, oh, go and put this outfit on and that's that. It's too grown, right? We have all of these right. these things that we do to police girls. And I'm not saying that that's healthy. I'm just saying that that's what it is. But when it comes to boys, we can't wait for them to be men. We even give them nicknames like, you know, little man, man, tell him to man up when he's crying because he's hurt himself, right? So I think that we need to allow our our boys to be children. Yes. We need to allow them that space to be kids, to go. Yeah. yeah. Because what we're doing is we're setting them up to be the partners, in a sense, for our girls. And so don't you want them to be healthy? I mean, why are you pushing them into these kind of maladaptive mind frames by some of the stuff that we talked about and how that kind of, we know, research-wise and in our own professional experience, how that kind of plays out when we don't develop our male children in a healthy manner. Yes. Yes. And so all of this is connected. All, and I'm reminded by, by that comment, Nakia, that this is also connected to why we have men in relationships that have sex, they have kids, but they are not prepared to be men. They've not had manhood training. They've not had a male role model who has been healthy, who has been an adult, who has been responsible. And so it's, it's cyclic, right? Like it's, this is a, a cycle that we're continuing to, to feed into. Yeah. Yeah. That we're continuing to feed into. So I do want to drop a resource real quick. It's www.therapyforblackmen.org where there are therapists who specialize in working with African-American men and some of the nuances uh, and the issues that they face daily uh, in society. So that's a great resource for, for our listeners. I want to thank everybody for tuning in and for listening, whether you're in your car, at home, at work. Uh, you can always hit us up on Instagram send us your questions, uh, Facebook, Twitter, et cetera. We are here to listen and here to support. And I want to make it clear that this show is not therapy. However, it is for educational purposes. There are plenty of resources out there to help you get connected with those that you, uh, you need support uh, from. So thank you so much for listening. Nakia, do you have any closing comments? No, I, I think you wrapped it up. I was going to say also, um, if they would like to, because you did mention like Instagram and social media, they, um, the Therapy for Black Men also has a Instagram page and you can, I mean, she's daily posting different encouraging posts, educational posts, um, different things that you can get resources uh, by following her as well. Awesome. I think that that is a great resource. Awesome. All right, folks. Well, we got down to the white meat. I hope that you all enjoyed today's episode. You can catch us on Facebook, Instagram, 
DM us if you need to, uh, resources in the description, and we will catch you on the next episode of Down to the White Meat. <laughs> <laughs>